Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is The Guardian. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Welcome to The Final Word, Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John, enjoying a crisp, bright morning here in the UK, while my colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon are pulling on their pyjamas and getting ready for bed in Tasmania. Can we have more Ashes tests in Hobart, please? The time difference on this day-night match is far kinder on those of us watching from the other side of the world, and also the first day's play suggests they make for pretty good contests too. England fans who set their alarms early for the start were well rewarded. Rain had fallen and the covers slid back to reveal a wicket as green as William Wordsworth's linnet, Emily Dickinson's grave and Andrew Marvel's garden. No white or red was ever seen so amorous as this lovely green. At least I think that's what Joe Root said after he won the toss. Perhaps poets will next turn their attention to Zach Crawley's arms. They are long things to match his intimidatingly tall legs and deserve some contemplation. They were, after all, responsible for several of the key events that occurred in the opening session. It was Crawley who caught David Warner in the sixth over, and then, a couple of overs later, it was Crawley who overreached at second slip and denied Joe Root an easy chance to remove Marnus Labashane. It looked for an hour, at least, like that mistake wouldn't matter. Broad took Kawaja's edge, one for Root, and Robinson took Smith's, another for Crawley, and Australia were an almost English 12 for three. But the stats have proven that Labashane loves to be dropped. He barely blinked before launching his rampaging counter-attack with Travis Head, whipping Mark Wood through the leg side and backfoot driving him through the covers. Labashane had scored 44 of 52 deliveries when he too had an Icarus moment. Batting too clever against Broad, he found himself stuck outside off stump while the ball whistled behind him, and like a lady-in-waiting attempting too deep a curtsy, he crossed his legs and fell forward on his face. It was Head who converted his shimmering start into a glittering century, and for most of the middle session, England looked helpless against him. Root was once again down to a skeleton attack, with Robinson on and off the field for treatment, and James Anderson, not picked in these perfect conditions for seam and swing, looking jealously on from the dressing room. Chris Wokes went for four and over, and Wood went for nearly seven. 12 for three had become 204 for four when Travis had reached his 100, although he did obligingly chip to mid-on the very next ball. 
A brilliant over from Wood to Cameron Green earned England their sixth wicket, peppering the all-rounder with short stuff until he succumbed to an inauspicious hookshot that required no special effort from Crawley's elongated limbs. Rain forced the team off an hour before the schedule end of play and left Australia poised on a tantalising 241 for six. Now it's over to Adam and Jeff at the Hobart ground. A really interesting first day of Ashes Test Cricket here at Hobart. Bell Reeve Oval, gorgeous place for it. 9,002 people came through the gates today. It was a sellout of 14,000, but a combination, I suppose, of COVID hesitancy and a bit of rain in the air might have kept a few people away. But those who did come uh, saw a smashing effort from Travis Head. And, I'm, and I use that word advisedly as he smashed the ball today, especially square of the wicket uh, on the offside where he is so strong. He has definitely taken the next step as a test cricketer. In all probability, Cameron Green has as well, making 74 again. But back-to-back half centuries, uh, this time it was in the first innings of a test match. He'd failed to achieve that uh, through his eight test matches so far. So uh, they put on 121 in 149 balls, the majority of that between lunch and tea. And it all came after Australia lost three wickets in the first 45 minutes, 12 for three, three for 12. Uh, and they had that rearguard partnership between Labuschagne and Head where they went a better than run a ball mm. until Labuschagne ended up sort of with his front foot on 10th stump and losing his middle stump <laughs> around his legs. Try explaining that. But Stuart Broad got to celebrate before the long break, the dinner break, uh, but then it became the Travis Head show. It, it was a rearguard partnership in the way that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid at the end of that movie when they come out to to take on all the soldiers at the fort. It, it was it was a bizarre partnership in that they just went after it. They were like, all right, we're going to get out here if we defend, so let's just attack. But it worked. Uh, it worked. But but I want to. I think I want to rewind to that. There was that that starting part of the day where it was like, all right, nice green wicket. Both teams wanted to bowl on it. Joe Root got the choice. And suddenly, like for the first time in the series, things were going for England. Things were working for them. Robinson bowling really well, hitting the seam, decking it away, gets Warner's edge. Uh, Kawaja plays a little bit loosely at one, but edges it uh, into the slip cordon as well. And then Smith got a really good one from Robinson that followed him a bit, that came up at about ribcage height, and he's sort of fending defensive shot into the slips as well. And you're thinking, you know, is this is this their day? Because England, they, they left out James Anderson based on a, a minor injury that wasn't disclosed, which they're it's a hammy, I think. Yeah, mm. but I mean, this was this was a James Anderson pitch. This was Birmingham slash Hobart. Yes. But what I loved about it was at the point that it was three down for twelve. Everybody's getting stuck into Hobart. They're saying, oh, oh. What, what's this curator doing? This pitch is a disgrace. It's unfit for Test cricket. Like, you know what? You're allowed to get out. You're allowed to get people out. You're allowed to dismiss other players. That's okay. Wickets are allowed to fall. Oh, it's not going to go for five days. Not every test match has to go for five days. Some of them do. They don't all have to. You can have a good contest that goes for three days or you can have a boring one that goes for five days. It doesn't, there's no rule about it. And the fact that it was a decent pitch was proved by the fact that Labuschagne immediately starts smoking boundaries through cover. Travis Head starts taking them on as well. And... 71 in 69 balls. They just went rattle, 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 rattle. Mark Wood and Chris Wokes came on. Both got bashed around the place. Mm. Wood was leading runs at a prodigious rate. And suddenly it didn't look so hard to bat out there after all. I was going to put the complaints about the pitch in the anti-Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, the moaning and the whining and the 
ridiculous critique. I mean, anyone who's got any local knowledge or has watched Shield Cricket here, now I'm not saying that you need to have watched Shield Cricket to have an opinion, but Mm. at least listen to those who do. And the consensus there is, yes, it will be green. Yes, it will give a little bit to the the fast bowlers in the first session. But the problem they've got at Hobart is actually the opposite problem, where where teams can't take wickets on on day four in Shield games, which of course for four days, not five days, because the pitch gets better and better and better. So the incentive is there to insert a team, as England did, Mm. and to take advantage of that. Or you can bat first and back yourself to get through the first bit, and then you can cash in. So um, those who are slating the curator here, this pitch was underwater. This ground was underwater a week ago. Uh, They've done a magnificent job. Uh, It isn't just fit for test cricket. It's provided the most uh, interesting uh, competitive tension between bat and ball that we've seen for the whole series so far across the, the reverse point. Atlantis, the way, yeah. the way Bell Reeve rose out of the sea. Uh, absolutely. 59.1 over. So we only got two thirds of the day, but it felt like we got uh, our full money's worth, so to speak, absolutely. Um, because of the run rate and the wickets that were falling consistently. And even at the very end with, I mean, that last wicket getting green out on 74, holding out um, from a Mark Wood bumper. I mean, even that gave one last twist that England would go to bed feeling like, yes, they didn't take advantage of their position of authority early on, but honours remain not not quite even. I think Australia are ahead in the test match, but if they have a good first session tomorrow, they might be able to rest back parity. Well, Australia are ahead, but only because England's batting is suspect. And, yes. and so that it, it's like England need to bowl beyond what is normally good in order to be competitive. So we're judging them on a skewed scale. Uh, but if you take that, you know, the, you've got the three big guns, they're all out for six runs between them. That's a huge advantage. And what that means is that even though Travis Head made 100, even though Green made 74, England's into the lower order for under 250. That's a good position to be in in a test match. So I think there was too much emphasis from the English pundits on, oh, no, they've blown this chance, as opposed to uh, they've made sure that they could have been conceding 450 in the first innings and they probably won't do that so yeah there was still something to it and then what Travis Head does was amazing in itself because he comes in at three for 12 and just goes on the counter-attack just just goes for gold and this this innings was really good there were a couple of false shots a few flirts but I felt it was less streaky than the Brisbane 100 Um, he was going after Literally everything outside the off stump he played a shot to, which isn't usually advisable, but he was middling most of it. Back foot punch if it was short, on the front foot if it was full, driving through the covers, playing the pull shot, whatever whatever was needed, he, he went on. And I've got a stat for you, which you will enjoy, okay. I feel. Nobody across an Ashes series uh, who has made as many runs as Travis Head has, he's mm-hmm. leading the, the run scoring now. The only player who have made more runs than he's made in an Ashes series at a faster strike rate is Botham in 81. Huh. It's the only player in the history of the Ashes. That's a good one. I yeah. mean, I've been, I've been thinking quite a lot about what... It's not a low-scoring series, but 349 runs for head. I wonder whether that's the lowest highest, the mm. lowest um, tally of runs to be the highest in an Ashes series, although he has right. averaged 70 because he missed a test. And, yeah, yeah. Um, before today, no one had made 300 runs. And just on head, I mean... We talked about this at Brisbane, I suppose, on the podcast when he made his 1-5-2. You do need to afford him a bit of latitude because if you play the way he plays, which is swinging so bloody hard at the ball, uh, when you're out of form, it's going to look ugly. Mm. You're going to nick a lot. And we've seen that when he's been out of form in the test team before, when it's not going right. But when it is going right, I mean, you can see the way that Stuart Broad was throwing his head back. Um, at Some of these, I mean, Clive Lloyd-esque, 
shots through the offside, just absolutely clouting it. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I suppose we've been waiting for three, maybe four years for Head to take the next step. And he has absolutely taken the next step. Uh, even just the language he used, I interviewed him before play today um, about uh, where he was at when he was out of the team. Mm-hmm. And he kind of gave um, the answer about um, there being great communication between uh, the coach and the selectors and him and not ever feeling as though his spot was in, in jeopardy with uh, Kawaja making runs and, and that squeeze with Marcus Harris. But what I liked, he's like, well, actually, the, the first three test matches, you can see what I can achieve. 100 at Brisbane, a gutsy 50 at Adelaide. And another quick one off 49 another balls, Another quick one, yeah. But the way he did it, and also Melbourne, he had to really dig in. Didn't quite make it to 50. But, you know, he's mm. he's comfortable in his own skin is what I'm trying to say here. He isn't like insecure yeah. about his spot in Australian cricket. He knows he is in, you know, last week with Kawaja, like, will Kawaja be seen as being in the top six players in Australia? With head, that's no longer a conversation. And right. days like today reinforce that point. And, and uh, it, there's this thing I've come back to a number of times, which you're talking about when, when he's out of form, it'll look bad. He still never makes low scores. He's been out in single figures five times in his whole career. And and it's still yeah, right. and it hasn't happened for a long time. Like most okay. of those were early on. He always makes something. Even if he does get out, he gets out for twenty or thirty or forty, not mm. for one mm. or three or five. And so even his smaller innings have the opportunity to contribute to a partnership, to be useful to a team, even if they're not big scores. So his approach of looking to score from ball one, it works for him, um, or at least it's worked for him so far. Yeah, and one more small point on that is that he's never been out in the 90s. That might sound like a small sample size, but he's made 400. You know, some players have a habit of getting out in the 90s. Yeah. And Head's got the – I know he was – he could have been out for 99 from the leading edge and was out for 101 from the leading edge, more mm-hmm. or less. Um, but uh, but still, he, he was able to to reach that, that beachhead, which we know whether it should or shouldn't be uh, emotionally important to the rhythm of a test match. Yeah. Uh, when a player makes 100, it, it invariably uh, does have – have that effect on the way uh, the teams feel. Ollie, Ollie Robinson uh, bowled yeah. really well in his yeah. first spell and then came back after the break, bowled one over, they got smashed for nine, went off the field. The word from England was he had back stiffness, but he didn't bowl for the rest of the day. Um, I get very tired with this stuff from the England camp where they will not be straight about what's going on. If he didn't bowl for the rest of the day, he did not have back stiffness. He came back onto field. He looked proppy um talked to Stephen Finn about this on the broadcast and he basically said if they say it's back stiffness he probably has a stress fracture I mean <laughs> it's you you will not get clear information out of the England camp with you know Josh Butler's broken finger oh he's been for a scan and we're awaiting on the result no you're not you get an x-ray in five minutes I know that we've all had x-rays we know how fast they are we know that you know that you've got a broken finger if you've got a broken finger but we'll wait until the end of the test match before we say it's a broken finger yeah and like, the same, come off it. I think I, I would well, I'm, 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 I would theorise that it's because the Australian team did the same thing remember Josh Hazelwood mm. and, the, and the line we got about him at Brisbane minor side strain minor he'll side miss one match. test match he's and, missed uh, the whole series yeah, I think it's just that it's more about not I, I, I doubt it's to do with us it's probably more to do with the internal um, yeah. team rivalry there yeah, they don't want England to know that Hazelwood's out for the series yeah. because that might, might make them feel more cheerful that, that, that's right, and and the, and the same might be the case for Robinson, who bowled so well early on. I mean, on a pitch that he's born to bowl on, yeah. at least at the start of play, and I stress this point, the first 45 minutes, you know, you are permitted to have a pitch which is going to do plenty for seamers who can, with the pink ball under, you know, leaden skies and, and all the rest of it. It was like the perfect storm for a bowler like Robinson. But, yeah, I felt for him. That first over he bowled after lunch, um, the first ball was 115 kilometres an hour. The second ball was 112. The third ball was 117. And by ball four, we're like, 
you know, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Every ball in the over was, you know, at, at sort of Darren Stevens' pace, not um, being derogatory around Steve-O, just like to give you some reference point if you're an England fan. Uh, and then he went straight down the race. Yep. He did come back on. And I wonder just in terms of a bit of nuance around um, that back stiffness thing, he had a big tumble in front of the ponting stand. Yep. And I wonder whether back stiffness might have advanced a little bit right. after that because he looked... He looked dreadful when he got mm. on, got back on his feet. So it might have got worse. He was off the field shortly thereafter. Didn't bowl again today. Uh, and yes, I mean, Joe Root's missing Ben Stokes. He hasn't got a frontline spinner. Had to bowl 10 overs of spin himself today. Missing Ollie Robinson. I mean, it might very well be the case that Robinson needs to come on and bowl some off spin. Mm. Um, such are the situation they're in. It is absolutely vital. It is absolutely vital that Stuart Broad and Mark Wood and hopefully Chris Wokes, you know, in the I want to see him make a contribution here, having got flayed at the start of today, can bowl Australia out in, in you know, 60 to 90 minutes tomorrow. If they're batting, if Alex Carey and Mitchell Stark are batting in an hour and a half, let's say, and they both get a start, that tomorrow could get, yeah, it could be trouble. Well, I mean- No rotations or any of that. Chris Wokes was, I started today thinking, well, A, I was thinking, why is he playing? Because I thought we didn't know that Anderson was unfit. Okay, he's playing because Anderson's unfit. These were the best possible conditions he could get to bowl in in Australia. He'll never have a better chance. And he still bowled poorly. He still didn't hit his lengths. He bowled too full. He got smashed around. It's this frustration that we we haven't seen, I mean, not even the best, but not even a reasonable version of Wokes on this series. He's been toothless. Averages 22.6 in England. Averages 56 away from home. Averages 80-something in this particular series and 50-something in Ashes cricket. And no one will be more frustrated than Chris Wokes. He will know that when he got here this morning, this pitch, in theory, should suit him. But as Athers made the point on, on our radio commentary, because Wokes relies with the Dukes ball so much with genuine swing, more than mm. seem, like he's genuine swing bowler, old-fashioned swing bowler, yeah. that it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it isn't so much about the surface, it's about what the ball's going to do. And even though it's a pink kookaburra, as we've learned over the years, the pink kookaburra swings for as long as the red kookaburra. It's mm. about the nip with the, the, the pink kookaburra, which sometimes yeah. can last longer, and, and today it didn't seem to at all. So, And that was an, an opinion from Glenn McGrath as well, that he said, this kind of pitch, you need to hit it. And that's what gets you the movement. And yeah. he said, Wokes doesn't hit the pitch. Robinson does. He Wokes kisses Broad it. does, but Wokes... Yeah, Wokes kisses the pitch and tries to get players coming forward. And if it when it goes wrong, I mean, and Travis Head uh, was was able to take advantage of this. When the ball isn't moving off the straight, it can it can feel a bit samey, a bit throwdowny. And and Head backed himself, and and suddenly Wokes was under the pump. He didn't get a chance to settle into his spell. Nor did Wood. But the difference with Wood is he isn't coming back for spell two or spell three, thinking, "Gee, this might be my last test overseas." No. Wokes, I would imagine, would be acutely aware of the fact that he might had his you know, passport taken away at the end of this series. Um, he might have like the like, reverse Djokovic. Like a travelling football supporter. Yeah, yeah, again, no more. Never You're not allowed to, to go to Greece, Chris Wokes. Um, Sorry. Even the fact that they're going to the Caribbean in, yeah. in a few weeks' time. Well, I suppose he'll go for the part of the white ball series. But, you know, what I'm trying to say that he might end up never playing abroad again. That, that's yeah. a different level of pressure. And, and he didn't... He didn't today bowl as well as he could. And it's frustrating for all of us who've enjoyed his career because... You know, you want to see a guy like that. I want to see him do well in Australia. It just feels like he's running out of time. Yep. Um, Cameron Green today was really good. I thought he's had this problem so far earlier in the series where he's come out and been a sitting duck basically and just poked around and tried to survive. He was more uh, more active in rotating strike, Definitely. knocked the ball around. He was, you know, 40 off about 60 balls 
whereas previously he'd be about four off about 60 balls uh, and and he looked so much more comfortable out there you know there were some of the short bowling he just kind of stands there and seems like he doesn't know what to do and just waits for it to hit him or miss him or whatever it is and eventually he got worked over by Mark Wood in a beautiful over came over the wicket bounced him bounced him really good bounces between shoulder and head and then came round the wicket banged it in green tried to hook it and he was caught at deep square leg but up until that point you know those some of those back foot punches that he played um he looked a million dollars out there he looked like a proper batting number six i think he hit nine boundaries and all of them were class but i suppose even more important than that was that the way he rotated the strike was calculated you know the way he and head were running between the wickets at one point i think about Ninety minutes into the middle session, they were they were going at five point four runs and over in that session, and that wasn't from them. I mean, I I talked about how hard Travis had hit the ball, but after lunch, mm. it was a different kind of attack. Before lunch, they were they were going for it. They were trying to smack the ball hard. After lunch, it was just as important about having four men out and milking singles as they saw fit. Mm-hmm. And Green was up to that. He was equal to it. And earlier in the series, he did look like he was desperately just trying to occupy the crease and thinking that if it, if I'm just here for 45 minutes or an hour, mm. my luck will turn. And that was a little bit of the story last week in the second dig against in, uh, against India, against England at Sydney. He hung in there, hung in there, hung in there, and then he went through the gears. Today it was like, no, no, no. Within about 10 minutes of his arrival, he was already looking to, to be a pest for Joe Root, mm. who I think, you know, probably for the first time in the series looked bereft today Root. Like, but as the day got deeper and deeper I know they got those late wickets but at different points in that in that head green partnership I'm not saying he, he had given up but he's like bloody hell this mm. was the day we could have bowled them out for 485 the way yeah. that South Africa did here in uh, back in 2016 and as he saw that disappear and head playing as well as he did and even mm. Labashain we've not really mentioned Labashain much yet but he was important to change the energy of that first session and there's Root thinking well you know, is this going to be another one of these, um, another one of these horrible misadventures? Especially when he, he got it right at the toss, and you know, picks the what seemingly feels like the right team, and you know, doesn't feel like he needs the spinner, and then things really did evolve mm. through the day. Mostly, we haven't talked about Labuschagne because we have to talk about him in the Hall of Fame. Yes. The final word, Hall of Fame. Uh, the most final word moment of the day. It's a busy Hall of Fame today, Adam. You talked about Chris Wokes kissing the pitch earlier. Stuart Broad kissed the pitch, literally, first ball. First ball of the innings. Slings it down, hits the pad. Uh, David Warner, he's excited. And then he just trips over, face plants, and then he's appealing from... He was described as coquettishly looking back over his shoulder at the umpire. <laughs> you know, like Kate Winslet in Titanic, you know, saying... Make me a decision like one of your French girls. It was um, <laughs> it, it, it was a beautiful moment. And then he ends up with Manus Labuschagne flat on his face, getting clean bowled a couple of hours later. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, broad with his legs in the air, mm. like pointing towards the sky when he's turning around appealing as well. It was the, you know, never retire, Stuart. Never, ever retire. Um, and, and even just, you know, the big smile on Broad's face and really enjoying his work early on. Um, and you're right, as you say, Labuschagne ending up on his face after his dismissal, uh, it was compared to Ricky Ponting with um, uh, that that uh, ultimate test match in Adelaide in 2012. But the difference with that was he got done. He fell over by an incredibly accurate outswinger. This was just a straight delivery that Labuschagne. He's taking an off stump guard. Okay, that's fine. That that's kind of part of the modern game. You may not like it, but it is effective. Mm-hmm. Um, they're loading the onside for him. They're, they're almost immediately going to four on the leg side after they got rid of their five slips. That was lovely, by the way. Five slips is a, a worthy nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, who would have thought England would have the chance to implement five slips at some point uh, today? Anyway, uh, but the the way in which the way in which he is now 
going so far across himself with his front foot. Yep. I mean, it was bound to backfire at some point, right? Yeah. But it was a spectacular today that it was middle stump with his foot and the ball not in the same postcode upon a pitching. It was like he... He took his first little shuffle across and then he took, it was like he'd forgotten and he took another step and then he was like, oh God, where am I? Like literally all three of my stumps are exposed and I'm standing over there almost off the pitch. And and often you'll see a bowler when a player does that, they follow them, they can't help it just by instinct, they follow them. And Stuart Broad was sharp enough to go, just that bullet straight, hit the stumps. That's all you got to do. Uh, would have won a bowl out in a tied T20 in 2007. Um, bang, middle stump. And, and Labuschagne's trying to get some sort of bat in the way and, and ends up eating dirt uh, by the end of it. It was it was very funny. Uh, he was on 44. He played well, smacked a few, but he got dropped on naught. What's that, like he 14 did. drops? I think I think the stat is 14 drops out of 29 chances in his test career. So hell. he has been dropped a lot. Uh, and Zach Crawley put one down. Um, I'm just going to um, nominate Australia's number fives. Between mm-hmm. Head and Kawasha, there have been four of the five tons that Australia have made in the series have come from number five, which was yep. um, going into the series, I would say I would say the, the most likely position that we thought was going to cause some problems. Yep. Um, there was that bat-off between uh, Head and Kawasha, but and obviously both have had an influence in the series, but the, the, they've both come off in that mm, position. That was uh, the question mark spot. Yeah, And now it's sure. the exclamation mark spot. Well, there you go. I think they averaged 98 in that position across yeah. the series, something like that. <laughs> so um, that, that's really turned around well. And last thing for the Hall of Fame. Well, uh, not, quite. Pe- not quite. Not oh, quite. Oh, one more for me. The people of Tasmania and the people of Hobart, um, they, 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 they did what they said they would do. They sold it out. And yes, they didn't get quite the crowd attendance they wanted. But um, as I say, I, I'm certain that is in no small part due to due to COVID and, yep. and, and that's just the way it is. We, we understand at the moment that there'll be a percentage of people who won't come having bought a ticket, but those who were here made so much noise. They were thoroughly invested in what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Tasmanian band playing at dinner and, and see you did a sterling job as well. Uh, you know, I just thought that t- today was a, a great... Yep. A great day of test cricket, uh, well, two-thirds of it at least, before mm-hmm. the rain ended the day. Frustratingly, really, because I, I don't think the rain needed to take them off, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, and hopefully it won't be the last yeah. time that they get to host high-profile marquee test cricket. Well, I, I think quietly Cricket Australia won't mind if they didn't come as long as they bought the tickets. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they paid, paid for the tickets. Yeah, anti-Hall of Fame was that non-rain. That It was like yeah. a bit of – it wasn't even drizzle. It was like sea spray. Like It's like airborne drops of moisture that occasionally landed on you. I went for a walk in it and there was nothing it was just pep, 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 pep. did you kind of i think i think we got to the bottom of it i think it was because of wood's foot right because they think, were slipping yeah i think that like, that is sore enough all day yeah yeah I, i'm not saying they should have came off right. I, I, I think that's why it happened right um uh, other hall of fame uh, india famous test series victory oh, sorry south africa beat india it's um, done yeah they won last time i looked they needed 41 runs they yep. clearly polished them off they polished them off uh, came back from one nil down to win two one okay uh quite the result and uh novak Djokovic getting kicked out of australia that's got to get into the <laughs> hall of fame he may not he may still he's, he's filing appeals he's gonna drag it out for as long as he possibly can and maybe he'll he'll still get to play but still uh, just get your vaccines buddy all of this could have been avoided you know apparently uh, everyone said he has all the shots but he didn't have two of the shots and if he'd had them wouldn't have had this problem as we got a text in today saying he's got one unsuccessful challenge left <laughs> so we'll see whether he can uh, 
uh, get up in the federal court, which is sitting right now, I believe. They're, yeah. they're doing a, a late Friday night um, sitting uh, to right. resolve that matter. Anyway, I, I hope they're this combining a, it with Zoom drinks or something. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they'll have like a, a house party uh, <laughs> uh, a house party DJ as well. Yeah, a couple of clenbuterol steaks and, and, <laughs> and on they go. Um, I, I think that's about it. It is. Uh, yeah, it's been, been the Ashes Daily from the final word. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow because that'll be day two and it'll still be the Ashes and it'll be a day and we will be doing a daily show because that's what we do. Uh, check out the Final Word podcast feed for other shows. Have a look at patreon.com slash the final word if you want to support what we're doing and uh, we'll see you on day two. Good night. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself and there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall. That's it for today. Thanks from Jeff, from Adam and from me for listening. We will see you back here tomorrow. And if you like this episode, please don't forget to leave us a rating that will help other people find us. This episode was produced by Sophia Tarek and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Miles Martinoni and Gabrielle Jackson.